Hello, Fellowship. I have an important announcement today that requires your prayer and participation. As a church body, it's time to nominate new elders to the elder board as four of our current elders will be completing their terms of service next summer. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of all the congregations of fellowship. We are not a church with elders, we are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And here is what we're asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Then, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to make a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or, if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one of those up in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 19th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate this process. Our desire is to be sensitive and responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we would like to thank Rod Easley, Steve Lampkin, Dick Nervig, and Steve Weber for their years of service as elders. They have served the Lord faithfully and diligently during their tenure and have represented you well. When you see them, please thank them personally. Blessings to each of you for your prayers and participation in this phase of the elder nomination process. Thank you.
affection, our devotion, we pour it all out to Him.
so glad that you are here this morning. This Sunday marks the beginning of Advent season. And if you've been around fellowship for a while, you know what that means. If you haven't, you may be asking, well, what is Advent season? Well, it's the first four Sundays before Christmas Day. And the Advent season, you'll hear more about it, but each Sunday is marked by a theme. And today is the theme of hope. Because Christ came, we can have hope. Advent means arrival. And so we look back to God incarnate in Bethlehem, his first coming, and we look forward to him coming again. And right now we live in between those two Advents. And so we come here to remember and to look forward. So we're gonna have the opportunity to sing some familiar Christmas carols, to sing some worship songs, to, to sing some thematic songs where you may just kind of sit and take in the truth of God's word today. And we'll have some moments that we like to call Selah moments where there will be scripture on the screen and we'll just have a music bed up here. And we just invite you to engage with the word today. And so would you take a moment just to take in the truth of John 1.1 and Psalm 95 as we prepare our hearts to continue to worship today. stand with us once again. Sing this to our Lord.
hope in you. We thank you for the season that causes us to slow down to remember. So God, may you lead us and guide us. May we walk by your spirit until the day you return. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Hey, Fellowship, Sam Hannon here. As we head into the Christmas season, I've been amazed at the generosity that you've displayed at our church. You know, for many of us, we love to give gifts as an expression of our gratitude during the Christmas season. And at Fellowship, we have an opportunity for you through the gift. The gift is an opportunity to express gratitude to the Lord, and the elders will take our offerings and distribute those uh, locally and regionally and globally to do good in his name. Last year, you gave over $660,000 to the gift, and we can't wait to see what the Lord does with it this year. So Mickey, I wanna know, how, how did the gift get started at Fellowship? Yeah, you know, Robert and I recently did a podcast and we were reminiscing about some of that. And it came from a day when we were sitting around the table and we were just talking about what you just mentioned that uh, we give gifts to family, we give gifts to friends, but we had no mechanism in place for us to be able to give to God. And we said, what if we gave people the opportunity to give to God during the Christmas season, and then whatever was given, the elders would make a decision on how those funds were spent. And we've been able to do projects here on our fellowship campus. Uh, we've been able to help people, as you said, locally, regionally, and globally, and it's been a blessing. People have given millions of dollars over the years to the gift, and it's really been a blessing to not only our church, but people around the world. Yeah, what I love about the gift is it takes that generous spirit from the individual level, and it gives us an opportunity to be generous as a church. Well, Fellowship, we'd love to ask you to pray about your participation in the gift this year. And I just wanna thank you for being generous and helping us make a difference in Northwest Arkansas and the world. Good morning, everyone. I always hate being on video right before I stand here. Always afraid I'm gonna have the same clothes on and you think I only have one shirt. Woo! Looked up there and I thought, man, I'm so glad. It's good to see all of you and the Christmas season is here. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. But uh, we're going to have a great, great Christmas season. And uh, he was talking about the gift on there. That's an opportunity. Eliminate the debt is another opportunity. And uh, right now we're behind our budget. So we're hoping for a, a very good December. And uh, uh, we just count on our congregation to be a part of that. And it's true. Robert and I just did a podcast recently talking about uh, the gift and, and uh, the history of it and how generous the people of fellowship have been giving literally millions of dollars over the years uh, that has, has been used not only on our campus but all over the world. So keep that in mind. Um, go home today. Maybe talk about it. What are we going to do this year? And uh, do what you can. It's not about equal giving but equal sacrifice. Uh, this morning I received my first Advent devotional for the season. And uh, you can go to that QR code, go to our website, and get your Advent devotional every day written by our staff. And uh, you can also share this with friends who maybe they don't go to fellowship. We're not collecting emails, okay? If you sign up for an Advent devotional, we're not going to send you anything else. We're not going to sell your email address to somebody else. Uh, it's totally just for this one purpose because we want you to have it. And we also went in and read the devotional so you can listen to them as well. And so pick that up uh, for this Advent season and make it a part of your Christmas. Christmas services, there will be reservations for all the, the fellowship services here on the Rogers campus. And so you can go uh, to our website to find out that information. And I'm sure they'll be talking about over that, that over the next few weeks about when those will be. I think there will be three on uh, Christmas Eve and two on Christmas morning. And so you have lots of things to choose from, all right? And then there are also Advent resource uh, uh, resources out in the foyer. I'm told that's at the information desk in the middle. So they are family resources uh, for you and your family. And I'll be talking about that some just a little bit later in the service. Right now, 
let's get in the Christmas spirit by watching this uh, Advent devotional and uh, or Advent uh, highlight here. And then you're going to hear a life change story. Pay close attention to that. Advent. Advent. A season of expectant, expectant, purposeful waiting waiting for the fulfillment of prophetic promises of Scripture. scripture. A season of inspiration inspiration. found in the remembering and retelling of the stories from the first Advent as Israel awaited the arrival of their Messiah. As we reflect on the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of our Creator God, themes of hope, peace, joy and love emerge teaching us now, in the second Advent, how to be purposeful in our waiting. Encouraging those who lack hope. Bringing peace where there is strife. Spreading joy to the broken. And selflessly loving others, all the while looking forward to the return of Jesus and his good rule and reign in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. I think God has me exactly where He wants me. He has me telling my story to help other people. So I don't look at it that way, right? Surely I would have, I would have loved to have done this 20 years ago, but no regrets, right? I went through what I went through because God's going to use that for me to help other people going forward. If we back up a little bit, I um, didn't grow up with God in my life. I didn't uh, start a relationship with Jesus until September of 1995. My mom had died in April of 1995 and I really got into this world. I mean, I spiraled downward in this world after she died because she was everything to me. And uh, there was one guy that came alongside of me and he persisted and pursued and he gave me my first Bible. He'd have lunch with me almost every day until one Sunday morning in September, I broke down and accepted Christ as my savior. That was a beautiful day, but ever since then, I remained in a struggle with him. I mean, it was a wrestling match, it really was. And I would let the ways of this world, you know, draw me back. I'd I'd go through periods of my life where I'd be like, okay, Christ, I got this. You know, I'm good. And I would fall back into the ways of the world and I would turn my back, quite honestly. And then finally, March of 2020, I came alongside another man that showed me that I had some characteristics of my life that kept me from that authentic relationship with Christ and that kept drawing me back into the things of this world. And so once I figured that out, I mean, when and it was a process to figure that out, right? But it was selfishness and self-centeredness. It was my ego and pride. It was insecurities, right? And so when I, after I started figuring out that those were keeping me from my relationship with Christ and it's not like those went away, you know? It's not like they just disappeared, but it's an, it's an awareness of those and understanding when they come between me and my Savior, right? It's like when I'm being selfish and recognizing that and saying, is this turmoil being caused because you're being selfish or because you're being prideful? And continually, you know, keeping those things in check. And really what, I, what that did for me is, it, it was funny because before March of 2020, I would have told you I have a relationship with Christ. I love Jesus and I have a relationship with Christ, but it was never a true authentic relationship with Jesus. And an awareness of those things has gotten me to that point. It's gotten me to that point where now I really truly believe that my relationship with Christ is is authentic and real. And so now that I've uncovered what it takes to have that authentic relationship with Christ, I think I'm, I'm more authentic with the people around me, right? I'm truthful and honest in everything, right? When I fell into the ways of this world, that wasn't always necessarily the case, right? But I think it's an overall consciousness and awareness of when I'm not doing the things that would please God, you know, that would please my relationship with God. Being more of a spiritual father, you know, leading my kids better spiritually, trying to share with them different things about what that relationship means. So somebody that's gone through maybe some of the trials, the same trials that I have, I think probably the first message that I would say is don't let your past define you. If you really feel like you want to make a change, you know, there's the first step is probably the most important in walking towards that change. And I I think unequivocally I could share with you that this life was not meant to be done alone. God intended us to have relationships and when you need to get out of the ways of the world and create a more authentic relationship with Him, that's super.
super, super important is to create those relationships and have people that you can be authentic with. But I think the biggest thing that we get stuck in is letting our past define us, right? I mean, I think for years, when the world would grip me, I let that define who I was instead of defining who I am in Christ. And I would always get stuck in that, right? I mean, literally, I would say, I think I'm allergic to happiness. Or I've got to, I've got to continue in this agony because that's who I am. And, and that just isn't true, you know? I mean, I think the other big thing is um, recover, you know, just recovering who you are as a person inside. If you've let the world take you into a place that really isn't who you are, then recovering that who that person is um, is really encouraging and, and really it's exciting, you know. And I think the biggest thing is don't let the past define you. Keep looking forward, keep looking up, and that's a big thing, I think. One by one, God took them from me, all the things I valued most. Till I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags and poverty. Till I heard his voice imploring, lift those empty hands to me. Then I raised my hands toward heaven and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. Then at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull. God cannot pour his riches into hands already full. Have you ever, ever felt like this person on the screen that you were walking in darkness? Wondering if there was something else out there. Not, not able to get on top of your struggles. You just keep going back to the same sin. You can't get out of that cycle. As Michael said, you're, you're defined by your past rather than what God wants to do in and through you. For 25 years, he struggled. The plight is not just for the lost. It's for all of us. Uh, my grandfather, I prayed for him for 24 years that he would come to Christ. And there were times that I gave up hope. I thought he would never do it. But one day, at just the right time, in just the right moment, I had the privilege of leading him to Christ. The people who walk in darkness. Israel walked in darkness. God had given them a way home to the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, carried them there, protected them, gave them the land. But they decided they liked doing things their own way rather than God's way. And so they rebelled. They pushed back. Over and over. And so God sent prophets to them to tell them, don't do this, don't do this, or judgment will come. Turn around, repent. For 300 years, he, he sent Isaiah and Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Zephaniah, all of them told Israel to turn around, but they wouldn't do it. And then in the 8th century, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom and conquered them. And in the 6th century, the Babylonians came and conquered the southern kingdom and conquered them, leaving them lost 
and without hope. If you want to know, read, read, read some of Jeremiah's lamentations. And you'll see what life was like for them as they were exiled. Because they had rejected God's way, he did what he told them that, that he would do back in Leviticus. He said, if you live like the, the Egyptians do or like the Canaanites do where you're going, I will vomit you out of the land. And that's exactly what he did. But Isaiah told them there was hope. You see, there is always hope. Our hands can be preoccupied with a lot of things. But like in Michael's case, like in my grandfather's case, there is always hope. You see, Isaiah... He knew what was coming because God had revealed it to him. And we are a people who are on a journey whose end is the fulfillment of a promise. My definition of hope is this. Hope is the relentless anticipation of an unseen reality. It's the relentless anticipation of something we just can't see yet. We can only imagine what it will be like. Somebody should write a song about that. <laughs> Back in the 80s, I had a friend who was coach of the Lady Razorback basketball team. His name was John Sutherland. He taught me how to play golf. He didn't do a very good job. But one night after a service, John came up to me and said, you're obsessed with heaven, aren't you? And I thought, well, I hadn't really thought about that, but I love to sing about heaven. I love to read about heaven. I love to teach about heaven. And so I said, I guess I am. I can't wait to see what God has in store for us over there. Now, I'm not in a hurry. Okay, I'm not trying to push things along, but when I die, don't cry for me unless I owe you money. <laughs> I can't imagine what it will be like to be with the Lord forever in that perfect peace. So that is our hope. Shining through those night skies. And Isaiah wrote about it. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, in that darkness of exile for Israel, a light has dawned. Louis Schmeeds wrote this. He said, Christian hope is not a passion for the possible. It is a passion for the promise. We have seen a great light through the scripture. It has been revealed to us. In Isaiah, there are said to be over 300 prophecies alone of Christ. Now, I haven't counted them all, but let me give you a few of them that Roy Zook has put together. He will be called before his birth to be, the, to be God's servant. He will be born of a virgin. He will be a descendant of Jesse, thus in the Davidic line. He will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He will be gentle toward the weak. He will be obedient to the Lord in his mission. He will voluntarily submit to suffering. He will be rejected by Israel. He will take on himself the sins of the world. He will triumph over death. He will be exalted. He will come to comfort Israel and to bring vengeance on the wicked. He will manifest God's glory. He will restore Israel spiritually to God and physically to the land. He will reign on David's throne. He will bring joy to Israel. He will make a new covenant with Israel. He will be a light to the Gentiles. He will restore the nations. He will be worshipped by the Gentiles. He will govern the world. He will judge in righteousness, justice, and faithfulness. And we've already seen some of those things come to pass. The list goes on and on on. So let's look at a few of those prophetic scriptures. First of all, the purpose of his birth. In Isaiah 6 and 7, 
You know this passage well. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Of the, in, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The reluctance of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Is that what that says? No. There is no reluctance. In God to accomplish his purpose and plan for us. It says zeal. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I think he is more zealous for our salvation than we are. The zeal of the Lord Almighty. He's not holding you hostage to anything. He wants to give you salvation. There is plenty of room in his house. I encourage you. To take some time, maybe over the next week, in these thoughts of hope, to take each one of these phrases. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And just dedicate today, the day of thinking about God in those ways. And how He relates to you through them. No, there's no reluctance in him at all. The manner of his birth. Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And will call him Emmanuel. Now there are some who read that in its context. And say oh no 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 wait. He was talking about the Assyrians there. In that section of scripture. But were it not for Matthew. Matthew said this. Chapter 1, verse 22. He says, all this took place, describing the birth of Christ. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. What a thought. That God would come down and become one of us. There's a man named Paul Harvey. If you're younger, you may never heard of Paul Harvey. <laughs> Some of you have. Remember listening to Paul Harvey? Most distinct voice in the way of reading. But he used to tell this story at Christmas. And I want to read it to you. About It says the title is The Man and the Birds. He said he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff which churches proclaimed at Christmas. It just didn't make sense to him and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the whole Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. So on one Christmas Eve, he told his wife, I'm not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite. And so he stayed home. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. And then he went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound. Then another and then another. Sort of a thump or a thud. At first, he thought someone must be throwing snowballs. Against his living room window. But then he went to the front door to investigate. And he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm. And in a desperate search for shelter. Had tried to fly through his window. Well he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze. And so he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. Quickly, he put on a coat and boots and tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light. 
but the birds wouldn't come in. He figured food would entice them, so he hurried back into the house and fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the barn. But the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them and waving his arms. Instead, they scattered in every direction. And then he realized that they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could in some way let them know that they can trust me. That I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Any move he made frightened them. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. At that very moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the howling wind, and he stood there listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. In that moment, he understood the real meaning of Christmas. That God had become one of us to show us the way. And he sank to his knees there in the snow. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And hundreds of years after Isaiah wrote his words, John wrote about that light dawning in 1 John 1.1. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we Proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness. <laughs> there is no darkness with him. What about the place of his birth? Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 Micah prophesied this, but to you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Every time I've been to Bethlehem, I wonder, why here? We have, before you ever visit Bethlehem, you have this picturesque thought in your mind of what it might look like, this little town on a hillside. Keep that. Keep that. Because you, once you've been there, it's gone. But it was a special place to God. He foretold that's where his son would be born. God has a way of going back to places. So that we can see him at work. Because you see it was there in those fields outside of Bethlehem. That a man named Boaz had, had fields where he harvested grain. And he met a lady named Ruth there. And they married. After meeting in those fields. And they would have a son named Obed. Who would have a son named Jesse. Who would have a son named David. King David. And then on the same fields, he would shepherd sheep. It's likely he wrote the 23rd Psalm while shepherding those sheep and tending them. 
And then it was those same fields where angels appeared while shepherds were tending their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and God's glory shone around them and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby lying in a manger wrapped in cloths. And then a multitude of heavenly hosts appeared. Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Goodwill to all people. And when the shepherds heard this, they looked at one another and said, let's go. And so they went into that little town in Bethlehem and they found the Christ child, just as they had been told. Well, then there's the celebration of his coming. The final call by Isaiah is for all of Zion to join in this message He writes in Isaiah 40, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. Go up on a high mountain where everybody can see you, where everybody can hear you as you shout this message. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. And his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The message is, look, God is with us. God keeps his promises. There is no darkness in him. And now all there is is light. You see, this passage is not speaking of his birth, but his second coming. When he will come and rule and reign on the earth. Won't that be a beautiful time? When forever? We will be with him forever? We need that hope that Isaiah is speaking of. We need to cherish that hope and not listen to the world and all the gloom and the doom and the darkness that's all around us. We need to hang on to those words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light because that's God's promise to us. That's what the angels told those disciples who were standing on that hillside when he ascended into heaven and they just stood there looking, 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 thinking maybe he'd come right back. Looking so long that an angel appeared to them and said, men of Galilee, Why are you standing here gazing into heaven? For this same Jesus who ascended into heaven will return just like he went. And so that's what we await. And that's why we celebrate Advent, which means coming. Years ago, when I first came to fellowship, my first Christmas here was in 1989. And I was looking for creative ways to celebrate Christmas, and I didn't know anything about Advent. And so I began to study, and I thought, you know what? That would be a great way for us to keep Christ at the center of Christmas. And so that first year, we celebrated Advent together over at Oakdale Junior High School. And it was really special for us. But not only did we celebrate it in our services on Sunday mornings, we celebrated it in our homes. Denise went out and found a little Advent wreath, and we had one child at the time. But uh, she bought the candles to go around the Advent wreath, and we celebrated in our home. And these are the same candles that we started with. You can see they've been burned down a little bit over 30 years. But we would begin by lighting the prophecy candle of hope. And then we would light the shepherd's candle of peace. 
And then the one the kids always fought over lighting and blowing out was the pink candle, the Advent candle of joy, the Bethlehem candle of joy. And then the angel's candle of love. And the last candle we would light, and the most important at all of all, on Christmas morning, we would light the Christ candle. It's the tallest candle of all. It's white, signifying purity. I would encourage you to celebrate Advent in your home. To keep Christ at the center of Christmas. And so today, for all of us as a body, we light the prophecy candle of hope. Through the prophet Isaiah, he told us he would come. And he did. And he's promised us that he will come again. And we believe with all of our hearts that he will. You see, hope is the relentless anticipation of an unseen reality. And it's ours to claim. Because our God is zealous to accomplish his work in us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God and Father, we thank you for the hope that you've given us. Lord, if our hope were wrapped up in this world, I'm not sure what we'd do. Maybe we would just pull the cover up over our head and hide. But we have hope, regardless of our situation, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of the darkness in this world, there's a light that shines in the darkness, and that light is you. And as we look at the flames of this candle of hope, we remember that that light chases away that darkness. And that's exactly what you will do. Thank you for being zealous for us. Thank you for being zealous for Michael. I want to show you a picture. Last night, we baptized Michael in the service. He made public the affirmation of his faith. And we celebrated together. You can see the emotion on his face. It was a special moment. Don't let this Christmas pass you by without making it a sincere act of love on your part to the Savior who wants you to have abundant life. Would you stand with us and let's sing the hope we have in Christ. In the darkness we were Without hope and without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the
for the hope that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. May our lives continually praise and bless your name. So would you teach us to walk by your spirit as we leave this place in the spirit of Christmas, which is the spirit of the gospel, hope, peace, joy, and love found through the one true God. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Fellowship, we have Ed and Guanica Parish in the prayer room. If you'd like prayer this morning, 601-300-3000.